Have you ever found that you feel a little bit restless and on edge? Not quite anxious, but also not really excited. Feeling like you just need to check your phone or your email, but not really wanting to? You're kind of short-tempered with other important people in your life. Do you struggle to be present for your kids? You might have internet brain. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus and joined as always by my good friend, Brad Stolberg. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not so much, Steve. Looking forward to discussing internet brain today, what it is, and if you find yourself locked into it, how to get on out of it. All right. Before we get into that exciting topic, just a reminder, we are a self-funded podcast. There are no advertisements for the latest supplement, the fancy gadget that promises you'll sleep better, look better, grow all sorts of muscles, etc. We don't do that stuff. Instead, what we do, how you can support us are through two ways. First, checking out our books. My latest, Do Hard Things. Brad's latest, The Practice of Groundedness. If you haven't checked those out yet, give them a read. And then the second is our Patreon community, where you get access to monthly uh, book clubs, quarterly mastermind groups, some exciting discounts on some merch, and much, much more. So if you're interested in that, head on over to patreon.com slash the growth equation. All right. Well, listeners, have you ever found that you feel a little bit restless and on edge, not quite anxious, but also not really excited, feeling like you just need to check your phone or your email, but not really wanting to, but also feeling really relieved when you do, but down at the same time that you checked it? You're kind of short-tempered with other important people in your life. Do you struggle to be present for your kids? You might have internet brain. So the list of maladies that I just described is quite common in the 21st century, potentially due to the internet. And now while the internet is not the only driving cause, we think it's a big one. And what we are aiming to do in this podcast, we've written about this before in the newsletter, is try to provide y'all with some language for what could be going on and why it's happening so that then you can name it, you can identify it, and ideally you can take steps to help make it better. So let's start by defining the term, all right? The term here that we're going to use is very simple, internet brain. And internet brain results from, you guessed it, spending too much time on the internet. And as I mentioned earlier, the symptoms of internet brain are a lack of patience, a feeling of restlessness, shortness with those around you, the urge to check the internet for something, for anything, even though you don't really want to, but not feeling relieved until you do, a general exhaustion or apathy. That's all internet brain. You just kind of get stuck in the swirl of the internet. And it can happen to anyone. It can happen to people who are on the internet often for their job. It can happen to people who don't spend too much time on the internet normally, but get sucked into an Instagram or Twitter rabbit hole. So that's what internet brain is. And um, let's talk about why it happens. 
Yeah. So there's some fascinating research on this that's starting to come out. And uh, I love some of the quotes. I was reading some of the, the research by uh, scientists this morning, and they essentially said there is this bombardment of high intensity stimuli that results in divided attention. Right. And what we have here is the thing that the Internet kind of makes the way that it makes our brain work is to be on this kind of like hyper stimulated where we're looking for that next hit of dopamine, where we're looking for that next hit of attention and also divided at the same time. So the way I like to think of it is we're bouncing from browser to browser. We're going from Instagram to Twitter to TikTok to whatever have you are on TikTok scrolling through really quickly so that we get like that next hit, that next thing. And what happens is, and there's actually research on this, is that our ability to stay focused on one task at hand drops off significantly. And this is kind of me, the hallmark of when I know I've stayed on the internet too long is when I go to do a task that requires attention, such as maybe sitting down and reading or just going on a long walk for my dog and like thinking and paying attention and I can't focus. So I sit down to read that book and what happens is like, it's like I'm reading, but I'm not processing the information. I'm not processing the words. It's I'm reading every couple lines and then I'm like, oh crap, I have to read that again. That is the hallmark of internet brain because the internet, social media, using our phones all trains our brain to preferentially work in this way that it goes against kind of how we know we best work in terms of productivity and creativity in the world. And that's not all, Steve, because in addition to training that task switching over deep focus, it also makes you crave that task switching. So another way to think about it is the internet the mechanisms of the internet, it's like one big dopamine machine. Dopamine being the neurochemical that fuels addictive behaviors and the chase and the striving for stimulus, for novelty, for rewards. And the whole enterprise of the internet, the whole damn thing is set up to give us an endless and quick stream of intermittent rewards. This can make us feel great in the short term, but man, is it exhausting in the long term. So the most clear and perhaps the worst offenders are the social media platforms that so many of us use with their likes, their comments, their retweets, all of which reinforce our identities and self-worth, right? That's a huge reward. It's the identity slot machine. Oh, I'm going to post something. I'm going to tweet something. Maybe I'll get lucky and people will say I'm great. That is an enormous reward, but it's not just social media. Even reading a longer form article on the web, something that we write or that other writers that you might enjoy reading that still has the same characteristics. Why? Because the minute you get bored, you can click over to another tab on your computer. Even within an article, you can click on links to go somewhere else and you get rewarded with novelty and new information in the experience of learning something new. So we think that it's just social media. And like I said, I think social media probably is the worst offender, but the entire mechanism of the internet is just set up to have you kind of ping-ponging around from one reward to the next. I mean, it's like being in a casino. Yeah, and there's actually one other thing that I want to comment on there that I think is often missed. And there was a wonderful study I was looking at, and the uh, the lead author put it like this. And he said that one of the other things we have to worry about is it shifts our kind of 
memory and how we remember and process things. Mm. And the sense that now everything is Googleable, right? If we have a, if we don't know the answer to the question, what do we do? Google we it. We pick up our phone, we Google it, right? And there's a consequence to that. So there's recent research that shows that Googling things for all the answers almost tricks our brain into thinking, and into making people, and I'm going to quote the lead author who said, it tricks people into thinking, I am smart. I am responsible for this. I came up with this information. So instead of you thinking, oh, I had to find this information, like maybe in the old days when way back in the day where you had to pick up an encyclopedia or, or study it or what have you, it's almost like our this short circuit of just Googling things fools us into thinking we're smarter than we actually are because we attribute that knowledge that we Googled to like our understanding. And I think this this creates you know an even bigger problem when we talk about the internet is it's not only that we have this task switching and can't deep focus. It's not only that that um, we are addicted and trying to find that dopamine hit, but it's also it's convincing us that we're smarter than we actually are. And when you combine those things all into one. Like, it's no wonder that so many of us have this, like, internet brain that is causing us to kind of go haywire. Right. And I think that for a lot of people, myself including, internet brain is something that is related to time spent on the internet. But there's, like, a pretty steep kind of dose response. And what I mean by that is that the more that you use the internet, the more susceptible you are to get internet brain. And for a lot of people, once they hit a certain level of time on the internet, that curve gets really steep. So for me, it's two hours. If I'm on the internet for any more than two hours, each additional minute that I spend on the internet, like really just reinforces my lack of patience, my lack of ability to focus on anything for more than 20 minutes, so on and so forth. So why this is important is let's say that I'm in a heavy book promotion period and I'm going to be spending three hours on the internet. Even if I schedule those three hours from, I don't know, nine to noon, I'm screwed the rest of the day. Like the internet has sapped into my brain. If I set aside from one to five to try to focus on reading a book, having a conversation with somebody that is meaningful, you name it, I'm going to struggle. So I've heard this from other people too, that it can even be less time, but it relates to when they do it in the day. So if the first thing that you do when you wake up is you check all your socials and your emails and this, that, and the other, boom, internet brain can just latch on. So I think it's really important to kind of understand for yourself when you're most likely to get it and kind of what that time cutoff is. I know that if I spend under two hours on the internet, my brain doesn't like get caught up in this vicious cycle and I can somewhat easily switch out of internet mode. But once I'm at two hours, again, like the curve of uh, severity gets really freaking steep. And the other part I'd say is, you know, I'm going to go back to where I always go back, which is athletics. Oh, man. So I want you, I want, I want listeners to think, but it really applies here. I want listeners to think as if going on the internet is training their mind. So if I go out and I do, you know, if I spend more time training, let's go in for runs, going on a bike ride, doing a longer ride, some workouts, the longer I spend training, like the fitter I'm going to get. Well, the same goes here, only in a negative direction. The longer you spend online, the more adaptations your brain is going to have towards this internet brain. So I think it's not only in the 
okay, I only can spend two hours or whatever, and then my brain's done. I think it's also progressively over the long haul. So if you go weeks on weeks or months on months, what's, let's say hashtag no days off of the internet, your brain's going to adapt because that becomes reality, right? Your brain is predictive. It's trying to get used to reality. And if you're telling it by spending five, six, seven hours, whatever it is on your phone or computer, then like that's that. Then it's going to say, let's adapt to this. Let's make this, this must be normal. We must get used to this, right? So I think it's not only from a day-to-day standpoint, but what I've noticed as well is like, even during crunch times, right? Periods where I'm like on the internet, such as book promotion, launch week, et cetera. I have to be aware of like, hey, sometime I have to take a day off, like multiple days of like very minimal time to almost reset that normal. Because if I don't, my brain's going to think the last couple of weeks or last couple of months of launch book launch period of spending way too much time on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, just online in general. TikTok is real life. Yeah. And it's not. So like, that's where I think it's like both on the micro on like the day to day, how do you schedule the day, but also on the macro on like, if you know, you're going to spend a lot of time online for a period, you've got to have some downtime or some time to like reset your brain to where like, oh, this is this, you have to be ready for deep focused work and creative work and like, all that other good stuff. And that downtime is not going to be fun or easy at first because it really is pretty similar to detoxing from some sort of addictive substance. So if you've been going ham on the internet for a period of time and you say, hey, I'm going to take two weeks completely off, those first few days, you'll probably feel restless. You'll probably be reaching for your phone all the time. Even if you don't have your phone on you, you'll be reaching for it. If you ask your significant other to hide your computer, you'll probably be looking for it, if not consciously, then subconsciously. So I think it's really important to understand that when you do come out of periods of intense internet use that leads to like an entrenched internet brain, that the period of coming out is going to be rough. And having that expectation is really helpful because otherwise you're like, oh, I thought things would be better if I'm not in the internet, but it actually feels worse. So it's the kind of thing where it has to be worse before it feels better. Now that's for like long-term getting entrenched. Day to day, my guess is what a lot of listeners are thinking is, well, the internet's an occupational hazard. I need to be online for my job. In, In the knowledge economy, many people do. It's just a fact of life. So I think a really good analogy here, Steve, is food. Because you can't quit food, right? We all need to eat. And yet, We live in a food environment where so much of our food is highly engineered and it works on the very same dopamine circuits as the internet does. So people run into all sorts of problems with disordered eating, with binge eating, with overeating. And we can't quit food, but we need to learn a way to exist as healthfully as we can in an unhealthy food environment. And here's where having the language for things helps so much, right? Imagine how hard it would be to eat healthy if we didn't have words like overeating or disordered eating. We wouldn't even be able to name the problem. So what we're hoping to do here, first and foremost with internet brain, is give you all a language that you can use when you can be like, oh, I think I got internet brain, right? Because if you can't name the problem, then you can't do anything about it. So now you've named the problem. I've got internet brain. Day to day, what do you do about it? Well, I think the simplest thing to do is A, to not misattribute why you're feeling what you're feeling to other causes. So 
don't think that it's because something's wrong in your relationship or because you're not sleeping as well as you could be or because you've had to miss workouts or something has happened at the workplace. If you're spending a ton of time on the internet and you have this urge to just like the compulsion to check, it's probably just internet brain. So identify it, don't go looking in the wrong places. And then once you do, get off the internet. And to Steve's point, it's a lot easier to nip this in the bud. So if you've got a couple days of intense internet usage and you can unplug for the most part for a couple days, that's a lot easier than if you go a couple weeks over the curve. And in the curve, it's not really the curve. I mean, like at the steep part of the curve. So like I said, for me, it's two hours. For other people, it might be more, it might be less. But kind of knowing that point of what's normal, moderate internet use that's just a part of life that's not going to lead to internet brain versus for you, where do you fall off that cliff of, oh my God, I've spent way too much time on the internet and now my brain is like this like just terrible place that's mushed up and I can't focus on anything. And then have some good constraints to try not to reach that point. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really important. I think this is why you see like, for instance, our, our friend Ryan Holiday has a rule of, like, you know, no getting on social until I think it's, I forget what it is, like 10, 11 in the morning, whatever it is. And that's probably because he's setting himself up where it's like, okay, I need to, like, you know, get in this space and not go down this internet brain rabbit hole. Now, others, I don't do that, but others might have it differently. But one of the things that I really do to set up my day is, like, the first thing often the first thing I do is get out of bed and go for a run, right? Where it's like almost setting yourself up, clearing your brain. There's no internet. I don't carry a phone, et cetera, et cetera. It's just me out there exercising, doing something real. And the other thing that I think I think is really important as well, in addition to constraints, is have activities, like, for example, running in my life, that force you to get, like, experience things in the real world and like get off of the internet brain so in addition to running this is why i often take a afternoon walk with the dog with no phone right because like and i walk in a local park often why because it's like just me and my dog willie for an hour in the woods like just walking around and what i found is like being outside in nature and especially walking almost has that like clarity, that clearing effect. And probably this, and there is some research behind this, like this attention restoring effect so that it kind of gets me out of this like divided, hyper-stimulated world and gets into, um, you know, the real world. The other thing, in addition to like walking and being in nature, conversations are actually excellent for this. So having like actual real conversations without a phone present with someone else your spouse significant other etc are really good for forcing like engagement because you have to be engaged on the conversation and they're often entertaining so that like you get some of this like hit of feel-good hormones often in addition to dopamine things like oxytocin but it comes from a place where it's like, oh, I'm rewarding something that isn't divided attention, hyper-stimulated, but like deep connection and deep thinking. You know, Steve, as you were saying that, and I love all of that, it just occurred to me that we're basically in reversing internet brain going as far as we can to the other extreme, which is like how our species spent most of their time during evolution, 
which was outside in nature and sitting around the fire. And the reason that I say that is because you didn't mention reading a book. And I think that's for good reason. Reading a book is actually a really hard way to get out of internet brain because you're constantly losing focus, struggling to pay attention, wanting to pick up your phone and check it, reading something that you want to send in an email to a friend, you name it. And if you think about when the printing press in the written word as a predominant mode of communication came along in our species history, it's actually quite late. It's a lot closer to when the internet came along than sitting around the fire and having a conversation or going on a long walk. So if you think of the internet at one extreme is like hyper modernization environment that we didn't really spend much time as a species in, well then reversing it, of course it makes sense. Like probably the best thing that you could do is go on a backpacking trip with a close group of friends without any devices. And um, that's kind of just putting our brains back in, in, in what they really evolved for. Because there's an evolutionary mismatch with the internet. We did not evolve to have our brains on the internet all day. Maybe we'll further evolve. And if the internet may, remains a huge part of life, maybe like, you know, if we don't burn down the planet, 15 generations from now, there'll be selection bias for people that are really good at spending time on the internet, but we're not there yet. You, you know, it's interesting, and I don't want to overstep my knowledge here, but there was, I remember reading about this like years ago, is there's actually some um, some interesting work in psychology of taking people outside, going on a hiking trip for whatever, a couple days or a week or what have you, and like there, there being significant increases in well-being and decreases in symptoms of like depression and et cetera, et cetera. And I think... Again, I don't know the research that well on this area, but there is some that's coming through. And I think that that makes sense, right? Because what we're doing, if we look at, again, taking it back to adaptation, if we're spending most of our time on this far right of internet online world, the quote unquote meta world, then the solution, the new training is to go way to the other extreme and go to back to the basics. The basic things being like, outside of nature, moving, like spending time around the fire, like chit-chatting, et cetera. And if you do those things, like it kind of drags you back towards like a happy medium where your brain's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, this is how we're meant to function. Yeah. Like we can still function in this way. It's, uh, it's David Strayer from the University of Utah. So he's the neuroscientist that has done all sorts of work on taking people that are super stressed out, high cortisol levels, just from living daily life as knowledge workers in the modern world. He takes them on backpacking trips. He hooks them up to EEGs and looks at their brain waves and um, has shown exactly what you just said, Steve, that spending time camping in nature is really good for slowing things down and uh, calming our brains. So there you have it. I don't think there's much else to say on this topic other than that array of syndromes that you feel when you spend a lot of time online is very common. First and foremost, we want to give it a name, internet brain, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your colleagues about it. That way y'all can wrestle with this topic. You can communicate when you think you have it. Solutions, self-awareness to know what your inflection point is for when you hit that point where it's a lot harder to come back from spending time on the internet. That can be day to day, but also week to week, month to month. And then when you do that, 
You want to have something that snaps your brain back into its more calm, natural state that is in proportion to the intensity of internet brain. So if it's a few really tough days, maybe it's a day hike in nature. If it's a couple of weeks or months, it might be a camping trip. It might be taking a one to two week detox from using your digital devices and expecting that to be quite hard. And um, it's the modern world that we're in. I don't think anyone's going to quit the internet. I think having this conversation at the end here, it's important to caveat that the internet does a lot of good on the whole. It has potential to be an enormous net positive for humanity. And like any new technology in its infancy, we're struggling to adapt to it at first. And the more skillful that we can get, the more we can create a language around how to use it, the better off that we'll be. I, I think that's spot on, and that's a great place to end. And I'll just add this. If you look at history, and when major technological innovations came in, like the printing press, or even going further back, being able to move from hunter-gatherer tribes to 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 cities or larger groups, there always had to be some sort of social adjustment or what have you that allowed people to adapt to that. And without going too far, too far into the weeds, there's wonderful research on that. And I think what we are at with this internet brain is like we had the big change. Now we need like the social response that either puts constraints or helps people navigate the new technology. And hopefully we've kind of outlined a couple of ways where you can be on the forefront of that. Love it. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoy the show and you want more, check out our books. You can read them or listen to them wherever you get physical or audio books. They are the practice of groundedness and do hard things. You can also check us out on Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation. We're on Twitter at B Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus and on Instagram at Brad Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And with that, we'll catch you all next week.